How many of you ever heard that phrase, go west, young man, go west? Most of us know that, but few of us know the greater context in which that was said. Let me read it for you. Go west, young man, go west. There's health in the country and room away from our crowds of idlers and imbeciles. Now, that was spoken by the American author Horace Greeley in 1833. He was totally fed up with a high rent, the bad food, and the deplorable morals of Washington, D.C. So there you go. Not much has changed. And so he encouraged the next generation to flee the capital and to fill up the land and to experience freedom. And it became a motto for the whole idea of westward expansion. And for so many years, people have moved west. We have been very mobile in our culture. But all of that seems to be coming to a stop. Sometime in the past 30 years, someone has hit the brakes, writes Todd and Victoria Buchholz in the New York Times, March 11, 2012. Americans, particularly young Americans, have become risk-averse and sedentary. To support their case, the book calls us point out that the likelihood of 20-somethings moving to another state has dropped over 40% since the 1980s. And the proportion of young adults living at home almost doubled between 1980 and 2008. If you need more proof of American immobility, even bicycle sales are slower than what they were in the 1980s. We're not even selling as many bikes. You would think with the uh, high price of gas, more people would be biking. We are a nation of movers and shakers, insists the Buchholzes. They recall that the pilgrims climbed into boats to cross the Atlantic. The greatest generation shipped out to fight in Europe and the Pacific, and the children of the 60s joined the Peace Corps. But, they say, Generation Y has become Generation Y bother. Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you part of that why bother mood in our culture today? Are you into that mindset or that thinking of, you know what, I'm pretty comfortable and I really don't want to get uncomfortable. I don't want to take any risks. I don't want to do anything new I don't want to do anything different. If that's your mindset, then I feel sorry for you because you're just not going to experience God. Because as we've been learning, you can't stay where you are and continuously experience God. And I hope and I pray that it's your desire as an individual, as a family, and as a community of believers, I hope it's our desire to go with God no matter where he leads us no matter how few details he might give us, because we so want to experience his presence and to also experience his power. I think that's what was going through her heart and her mind. In honor of Mother's Day, and by the way, happy Mother's Day to all of you, and especially to my wife, Marcia, who I think is just one of the best mothers on the planet. She's done such a great job and such a wonderful grandmother as well. I want to talk about a woman, a young woman who became a mom and then a grandmom of someone very famous, King David. Her name is Ruth. And Ruth was willing to leave comfort, willing to leave stability, a culture that she knew and understood, 
and go in really those days far away to experience God in a powerful, powerful way. Now, the story starts in the book of Judges. There was a famine in the land, especially in the tiny town of Bethlehem. And like in the days of the Great Depression, when people picked everything up and headed west to hopefully find a better life, a better situation, a family of four picked up everything in Bethlehem and headed west toward the hills and the mountains of Moab. Elimelech took his wife Naomi and their two sons, and they went on their way to Moab where they settled, and everything seemed fine, and everything seemed to be going well in their new culture, and their new environment, until tragedy struck. Elimelech died. But Naomi was okay. Okay in the sense that her sons had married some local women. One woman's name was Orpah. Please don't confuse that with Oprah. Orpah. And the other woman was Ruth. And together, the sons and the daughter-in-laws took good care of Naomi. And then the unspeakable thing happened. Both sons died. Now there was not just one widow, but there were three widows. Naomi decided to go home. Word on the street was that things were better in Bethlehem now. And feeling a sense of loneliness, I'm sure she wanted to go back to her home and to people in the culture that was so much a fabric, a part of the fabric of her being. And so she announced to the girls that she was going to head home and that they should stay there. They should find new husbands and get married and have children and live in the culture that they understood the best. In the book of Ruth and in chapter 1, We read about this exchange, this conversation between Naomi and her daughter-in-laws. It says in verse 8 that Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. That must have been hard for those girls to hear. Because even though they were living in their home, their culture, they had an attachment to Naomi and a real love for her that comes through. She says to them in verse 9, May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. But the girls would have none of it. They were bound and they were determined that they were going to stay with Naomi and go with Naomi. But that was ridiculous and absurd in Naomi's mind. And she responds to them in verse 12 and says, No, my daughters, return to your parents' home, for I'm too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you. Because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. So you can tell that at this point in the story, Naomi is very hurt, deeply hurt, and angry perhaps at God, feeling as though God has been totally unfair towards her. But she loves her daughter-in-laws. And, and she says, it, it doesn't work, girls. I mean, I mean if, if you go back with me, I'm, I'm an old woman. 
And if I have children, if I'm capable of having children, if I were even to have sons, you're not going to wait till my sons grow up in order to marry them and have children. It just doesn't make sense. Stay here. And Orpah responds to that, and I'm sure with a, a broken heart, by saying goodbye to Naomi. And walking away and deciding, you know what? She's right. She's, she's always been a wise woman. It makes no sense. And it tells us that she returned to her people and to her gods. But Ruth, <laughs> Ruth was a little different. She hung on to Naomi. She was not about to let go. It's as though she heard a voice saying to her, Go west, young woman. Go west. We pick up the story, and it says in verse 15, Naomi said to her, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Verse 16. But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Man, you already, you already just start to warm up to Ruth, don't you? Her attitude, her spirit, her heart, her mindset. What a daughter-in-law. Verse 17. Wherever you die, I will die. And where I will be, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And I love what verse 18 doesn't say. It just says, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. And it says, verse 19, and the two of them continued on their journey. What I wouldn't give to know what Naomi was thinking to herself with Ruth next to her, making her way back to Bethlehem, or what Ruth was thinking to herself, walking beside the old woman on the way back to Bethlehem. But what I know is this. I know that Ruth had tremendous courage, had tremendous faith and and anticipation that the God that Naomi had, I'm sure, spoken of and worshiped and shared with them, that the God of Naomi was going to do something special in their lives and in her life. You and I need to have the same anticipation that when God calls us to make a move, when God calls us to make a change, when God calls us to respond to the crisis of faith by trusting and obeying him, that God has something in store for us. Now, Henry Blackaby talks about the the steps that we need to take in order to cross that boundary of the crisis into the land of adjustment and trust and obedience towards God. I want to share some of those principles with you, so you can just jot these down if you would like. First principle we've been talking about already. It's very simple. You cannot stay where you are and go with God. You cannot stay where you are and go with God. We've been talking about the fact that God is always at work in this world on the macro level and on the micro level in your life and my life. He pursues us into intimate relationship. He wants to know us. He wants us to know him. And God even invites us into that great work that he's doing. And we have our part to play in it. He invites us by speaking to us. Oftentimes it creates a crisis in our lives. 
and we have to put our faith in what God's saying to us. He may not give us the whole picture, all the details. He just wants us to trust him and he wants us to obey him. He wants us to adjust from our agenda to his agenda, no matter how little of it he gives us or how much of it he gives us. Ruth had no idea what was waiting for her in Bethlehem. She just knew that she wanted Naomi's God to be her God. And Naomi, in a sense, was her ticket, was her, was her sign, her, her signpost to point her to God and what it meant to have that relationship. I mean, can you imagine in your mind what would have happened in the Bible if people like Noah had said to God, no, I don't feel like spending 120 years building the ark and have a whole bunch of people make fun of me. I'm just going to kind of relax and chill out. Or if Abram had said to himself, no, you know, I'm at retirement age, been looking forward to this, I like the Urukaldes, I am not going literally to the other side of the world in his day and, and begin a whole new nation. Choose, find somebody else to do that. Or what if Moses had said, no, not really interested in going back to Egypt. Now, he kind of did say that, but God has a way of kind of motivating us. Or how about David if he had said, no, I just like hanging out with the sheep here. I don't want to go face some big giant and have a battle. not going to do that. Or Peter, James, John had said, no, I really like fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Or Paul had said, no, I just like beating up and persecuting Christians. All those men and the women of the Bible had to make a decision to leave where they were and what they were doing and go with God in order to experience him. It's God calling you right now, wherever you are, to move with him, maybe not geographically, but to move with him into a new experience, into a new challenge, so that God can show up and you can experience him, and others vicariously through your experience will see God at work and want to experience God as well. Principle number two. Adjustments are well worth the reward of experiencing God. The adjustments are not always easy. She had to leave familiarity and go to an unfamiliar place. There were far more questions than there were answers. And that's why I'm wondering, like, what was going through her mind? Will I be accepted? Will I be liked? I mean, the Israelites were not supposed to hang out with people like the Moabites for fear that they might fall into idolatry. So there had to be all kinds of questions, far more questions than answers. And perhaps that's been true in your life. I know it's been true in my life as I have tried to be obedient to God. Oftentimes in the things that God calls me to do, I have tons of questions. He doesn't give a whole lot of answers. He just says, Dale, are you going to trust me? Right now, for Marsha and me, as we're in this transition to a, a ministry opportunity in Minnesota, we have all kinds of questions, and we don't have all the answers. I, God hasn't given me necessarily a picture of the future, how it's all going to unfold. I didn't have that when I came to Naperville. I had to trust God one day, one step at a time. Take what he gave me and believe he knew what he was doing and I'd experience his presence. Well, if you read the story of Ruth, and I hope you'll do it, and if you've read it before, read it again. It becomes this beautiful story of Ruth encountering the grace of God. She shows up, okay, and a man by the name of Boaz falls in love with her. Now, he has, he has the right to marry her, but there's a rule in place, culturally speaking, that says 
the nearest relative can marry her, and there's a guy who's closer in relation to her through her uh, husband who had passed away and, and Naomi's family than Boaz is. And so you get into this whole drama how Boaz is going to go about confronting this guy, challenging this guy, and then he earns the right to then ask her to marry him. And in the Bible, he's known as a kinsman redeemer. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus and how he, by dying on the cross, gains the right to adopt us into his family, to make us his bride, to bring us into relationship with himself. So you see, when you respond to God, when you are willing to take those steps of faith with more questions than answers, and you might face some valleys and some challenges, it is so worthwhile because nothing beats an experience with God. Nothing beats an experience with God. I've had people share with me In fact, someone just recently is going through just a really challenging time in their life on a relational and emotional and physical level. Really challenging. I mean, hardship. And and they said to me the other day on the phone, they, they don't attend the Compass Church, so you don't have to worry and try to figure out who it is, okay? They said to me on the phone, this is so hard, but you know, this is also kind of weird because Dale... I'm experiencing God in ways I know I wouldn't be experiencing him if I wasn't going through this right now. It was a change. It was a shift of attitude. It's a shift of mindset. I can either lean into God or whine and complain about this. I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know what challenges are in your life, but you got a choice. If you're surrendered to God, you can say, God, I don't understand this, but, but God, I'm going to accept this. I'm going to focus on you and as we kind of let go of the tension and let go of the frustration of our circumstances, that's when God begins to pour his grace in and we really begin to experience him. Third principle, God may call you to adjust your life in ways you never expected. And that's what happens to Ruth. Read the story. I mean, things that she would never have dreamed of happened to her in Bethlehem And she ends up becoming, like I said, the grandmother of King David. I know in my life, my walk with God, and Marcia and I together in our marriage, in our family life, we we know that there there are things that have happened in our lives that we would have never dreamed of or expected that God has called us to do by which and through which we've experienced him. And you just got to be willing to accept that. Now, I love that because I love change and I love adventure. For those of you who cannot handle change and don't like adventure, that can be a little bit unnerving. But if you want to experience God, you cannot stay where you are. You have to go with God. And Henry Blackaby does a great job uh, talking about some of the different ways that, that we might have to adjust our lives to the Lord. He talks about in our circumstances. For instance, at our job, you know, adjusting to God may require a, a different job or it might require a different attitude at my job or doing my job with a different attitude. In our homes, God may call us to downsize or God may call us to upsize or God may call us to share our home with others. We kind of like to affectionately call our home Hotel Hummel because over the years we've been amazed at how God's allowed us to use our home. We always give it to him. 
And we've had, we've had foreign exchange students live with us. We've had missionary kids live with us. We've had other families live with us. And we thoroughly have enjoyed it. We want our home to be God's hotel as, as he uses it to bless others. And uh, as we go to Minnesota and think about a new home there, we pray that God will allow it to be the place where, where others receive hospitality. And we've been so blessed as a result of that, personally, as we've seen God bring into our lives people who have touched us deeply. And I am sure we, they have served us far more than we have served them. Or in your finances. You know, God may, God may ask you to share more of your finances than you were expecting. Or God may bless your finances so you can use your finances for others. In your relationships. You know, God calls us to adjust sometimes in our relationships with our family, our friends, our business associates. Marsh and I have experienced that in our lives. When our kids were, uh, were small, uh, we moved away to California. We knew God was calling us there. And, you know, we had to go through that whole transition of relationships and moving away from grandparents. And uh, then moving here from California, the transition, moving away from lifelong friends. We raised our kids together. Now we face it again as uh, we go on to our ministry in, in Minnesota. And it's not easy. It's hard. It, it's sad sometimes. But you know what? Uh, God calls us to be mobile. God calls us never, God, God calls us not to allow anybody or anything else come before his will. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said you got to be willing to leave, you know, your family. You got to be willing to leave your friends. You got to be willing to leave everything behind and follow me. That's what it means to be a disciple. He sometimes calls us to make an adjustment in our thinking. You know, we all have prejudices, we got to get past those sometimes. God confronts us about the fact that we have perhaps a prejudice against a certain kind of people, the color of their skin, their language, their habits, um, their socioeconomic background or status. God confronts us about that because everyone matters to God. Everyone matters to God. And in this, this culture that we're in right now that is so you know, charged over the whole issue of homosexuality and, and whatnot, even though I don't agree and don't believe the Bible supports that lifestyle, nonetheless, I am responsible to treat people with a sense of the love of God and with a sense of equality regardless of who they might be sleeping with. It doesn't mean I have to approve you know, their moral choices and decisions. I need to speak the truth in love and we are going to end up agreeing to disagree at times and I'm not going to compromise on the truth, but, but I want to be friends. I want to know them, and I, I want to understand them and help them know me and understand me and build dialogue together. There's no room. There's no room for a hateful heart in the Christian's life. There's no room for a prejudicial spirit in the Christian's life. And so we might have to make adjustments in that. We might have to make adjustments in our methods, the way we do ministry, the way we reach out to others. Never, never are we to make adjustments with the truth of the gospel. That remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. But how we use it, how we go about doing ministry, the strategy is wide open like a missionary would be. How about in your commitments? Sometimes God calls us to make adjustments in our commitments to family, to church, to job, to plans, to traditions. 
Sometimes God calls us to make adjustments in our actions, how we pray, how we give, how we serve, and sometimes in our beliefs, our beliefs about others, our beliefs about God, our beliefs about his purposes and his ways. And all those adjustments are are there in his word. And how God speaks to me through his word as I'm immersing myself in it. He'll show me what those adjustments need to be in terms of all these things we've talked about. From circumstances to relationships. I need to become like Christ. I need to become like Christ. And Jesus didn't turn his back on people. And he didn't turn his back on sinners. They turned their backs on him sometimes, but he never turned his back. He embraced them with the love and the grace of God. He offered truth and he offered forgiveness. And that's what he calls us to do as well. And that takes us to our fourth principle. Adjusting to God means becoming obedient to God. And that can be costly. Becoming obedient to God's will and God's purposes can be costly. And in a sense, we've already talked about that. It can be costly in the sense of, you know, you move away. It can be costly in the sense of finances and how you invest that. It could be costly in the sense of relationships, people not understanding you, people not uh, agreeing with you, people not being willing to go with you. It can cost you and it can cost others as well. I think about another mother in scriptures. I think about Mary. And I think about what it cost her to have Jesus as her son. She had to watch him suffer. She had to watch him be mocked. She had to watch him die and be buried. It cost her. It cost her to not only be a follower of her son, but to bear her son. I think about what it cost Jesus in order to get us into a right relationship with the Father. It cost him to become like one of us. It cost him to be persecuted, to be laughed at, to be mocked, to be tempted, to be beaten, unrecognizable, and to die on that cross. It cost him so much. And I think of what it cost the Father to see his only beloved son suffer on that cross and absorb our sins onto himself so that the father must literally turn himself away from his son who cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It costs God to redeem us and to change our hearts and to change our lives. And as we come to the communion table this weekend, we are reminded of how God adjusted. It says the Lord Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to his Father's will. As our pastors come in a few moments to lead us through communion, I want to ask you a question. Are you willing, knowing what God did for you, knowing what Jesus did for you, are you willing to adjust your life in whatever way he's speaking to you, in whatever, whatever way he's calling you to do his will, no matter what it costs or where it takes you. Let's pray. Father, I pray and ask that 
on this weekend as we think, oh God, about your will in our lives, that we would be willing, like Ruth, like Mary, like the disciples, like Abraham, like so many throughout the Bible up to this very day, I pray, oh God, that we would be willing to take that step of faith when you call us, when you show us what you want us to do and trust you and be obedient to you and in that sense, experience you magnificently. In Jesus' name, amen.